Hello everyone, I'm Randa and I'm an immigrant girl. Presenting this podcast with me is Shahed. Hello, I'm Shahed and I'm an immigrant girl. This podcast will discuss our journeys as immigrant girls and share the stories that made us who we are today. And thank you for joining us again for our podcast, An Immigrant Girl. I'm Shahed, and with me is Renda. The music is original music provided by Laith Sadiq. Laith is an international award-winning violinist, composer, and educator from Jordan with Iraqi roots. If you love and enjoy this podcast and want more people to listen, please subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts where you can leave reviews. This podcast is for every immigrant girl who moved and started a home in a new country and for those who want to understand immigrants. Hello, everyone. We hope you enjoyed getting to know us a little from our last episode. We discussed how this podcast is for all immigrant girls wanting a voice to help them through their journey of living in a new country. We also like to include those who want to connect and understand immigrants, whether in their personal and or professional lives. We also want to thank everyone out there for your support. We've received overwhelming support from listeners. The intended audience are the people we thought would respond to the topics and our stories, but the unintended audience was even more surprising for us to learn about. Renda, I'm completely taken aback by teenagers like your daughter, my cousin, who connected with elements of both of our stories, and she is not an immigrant. I was even more surprised when she started to share it with her friends who were intrigued to hear what their parents' stories might have been like, whether they immigrated when they were teens or young adults. How about a quick recap? In the last episode, we talked about how we doubted ourselves for years, thinking we can't do certain things because we're immigrants. But with time, we realized these were barriers we're imposing on ourselves. And after years of work, we broke those barriers and went for our ambitions. And hope you break your barriers faster than we did. We also talked about how lonely our journey was, thinking we're the only ones going through those challenges and wanted to make your journey less lonely. And today's episode is about language as a barrier because it's the first thing that someone moving to a new country notices and is challenged with. It's also the first thing people notice about you, even if you can blend in physically with the locals. Language is a huge topic, and we will not cover everything we want to discuss in an episode. But we want to touch upon the experience from the perspective of a non-speaker, but also if you land and you can speak the language. Because even if you speak the language when you first arrive, you still have barriers that are culture-related. And that's an important part of our discussion today. 
So it's almost like a spectrum with people who come in with a comprehension of English or like my parents who knew it and spoke it but didn't understand all the cultural references. And then on the other side, there are those who don't speak it at all. Indeed. Renda, you said when you first arrived in the UK, you didn't speak any English. But I know you knew some English because you studied it in school. Tell us how helpful your previous knowledge of English was and how you went about building and improving your spoken English. That's right, Shahid. I learned English at school for about eight years, from year five, fifth grade, till the end of high school education. But the problem was we never practiced it. We were fortunate that we had a lot of media in English, which really helped our comprehension. But you know what it's like when you're learning a language, unless you form that sentence and before in your mind before opening your mouth, you never become fluent. English people here have the same issue. They learn French at school, they understand a bit, but not many speak it. Do you remember how we were taught English in school? I think you were taught the same way. We used to have to memorize these dialogues and get up in front of the class to recite them. And I would have to say, hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Fine, thanks. And I'm standing there reciting it and I couldn't recognize which part is the question and which part is the answer. So to me, English back home was completely useless. Oh, sure. that dialogue was awful. I hated parroting it in front of the whole class. It got worse. You're lucky you escape. We we spent years learning English grammar that no one ever references here. The past participant and the third person singular form and all that stuff. You know what, Randa? I think it's actually past participle. <laughs> Oh, shit. So you see how effective my education was. All these years, I thought it was past participant. But Shed, I want to find out more about your experience as a 12-year-old thrown into this new environment, having only learned that dialogue. Um, please tell us, how did you cope? I came in the summer. So for two months before school started, I spent uh, my time sitting in front of the television And I didn't understand a single word, but it didn't matter. I would just leave it on. And later I realized I was watching what Americans would call daytime television, which consisted of back-to-back soap operas, The Maury Show, Jerry Springer, and Oprah. And for the U.S. listeners out there, you know exactly what I mean when I say those names. And imagine, my fellow Americans, That was the impression I was getting of America when I first got here. That's hilarious, Chad, because that's not just in America. For some reason, I wore Jerry Springer as well when I got here. And I thought America was a jungle. Every time there's a disagreement, you start punching each other. <laughs> well, needless to say, I learned nothing at the end of that education. And at school, when I got there, kids still came up and spoke to me or at me, I should say. <laughs> But you did learn something, as we learned um, in the last episode. You learned, I speak Arabic. Hey, I taught myself that one. <laughs> of course, self-taught. <laughs> 
Well, any, in any way, uh, when school started a couple of months later, I was enrolled in English as a second language class or what people commonly called ESL. In that class, there were all kinds of students between sixth and eighth grade from all different countries. Some spoke a little bit of English, some spoke no English at all, and some had been here for a few years. So the class was a safe space for students to try out language because you saw kids from different levels in the class and the teacher was trained to pull language out of you and make you participate and use it. So it felt like a no judgment zone. And in general, kids pick up language very quickly when they're immersed in it. That's very nice that you had that safe place to learn. Exactly. And for people like my parents, I always wonder, and people even like you, or people who come to join the professional sector, you didn't have that opportunity. How did you overcome those early days barriers and build up the confidence to try to speak the language with adults? I did a lot of English courses um, when I first came, but the problem with learning a language is you never say, okay, I'm confident enough now, I'm going to put myself out there. But once I started work, that's when I learned the most. You, we, all, we all hate those humiliating moments when we are made really uncomfortable because we can't express ourselves or we can't understand the person in front of us. But these were the moments um, you, you're pushed to learn. It's when you're uncomfortable. We touched upon this in the last episode. I became really shy. I just didn't want to speak badly and risk someone laughing at me. But that's the worst attitude to learning. I remember getting served by this really confident waitress who spoke very basic English, but I was in awe of her confidence and how she didn't care about blurting out wrongs tenses and and remember going home and beating myself up for days thinking I could speak a lot better English than this girl yet I don't have half of her confidence all I had to do is gather the courage to put myself out there and speak it because it's the only way you learn and reality is no one cares if you made mistakes so it took me it took me about two years to be comfortable speaking and communicating. Shade, how long did it take you before you felt confident speaking? Because I've always thought of you as a native English speaker. People often said that to me. Many native speakers and immigrants around me recognize how quickly I picked up the language. And I see the same thing happening with my clients who come into my office within the first few weeks or months that they arrive into the United States and they're, we're speaking simple Spanish to each other. Then they come back a few months later and they're speaking English to me, which is the same thing that happened to me. Within three months, people were really impressed with how much English I knew. Wow, three months. And us parents worry so much about our children moving and going into a new culture. And you're telling me within three months, you were speaking comfortably, you were feeling that integration. That's nothing in a lifetime, isn't it? Exactly. I don't even remember. It was a blip in my memory. But a lot of it had to do 
with being a kid and leaving the ESL class for some electives, which really forced me to speak to other kids and teachers in like health or art or music. There was no one in those classes to save me. So I had to find a way to communicate quickly. I mean, the students and the teachers expected it. So when you're in those classes and there is no help and you're on your own, no one is explaining anything to you unless you have a buddy in the class who basically takes you under their wing. In health class, where I had nobody, the teacher kept talking one day about getting STDs from oral sex. And the whole time I'm thinking, oral is talking and sex is sex. So these people are talking about sex and getting sexually transmitted diseases? I didn't understand how you could get STDs from that. (laughs) Yeah, that is so funny. But I'm now intrigued. Did you ask the teacher or kept it burning inside you? Embarrassingly enough, I went up to the teacher after (laughs) class and asked her. And I remember her getting very shy and me not understanding a single word of her explanation. But what can I do? I was very curious and eager to learn language. But things out of context don't make sense to someone who doesn't understand the language. And taking the two words and trying to combine them didn't work either. But I loved practicing. And so when I would go home, I would step into these situations where I could practice as much English as possible, like helping my parents buy their first computer or get a contract for their first cell phone or calling companies if we have a billing issue. Oh, you led a very exciting life, Shahan, especially for a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was nice for me to be able to speak to someone without judgment, if that's how it felt. It makes sense. But now as an adult, I always wonder, how do adults practice English other than in the workplace? Brenda, for you, tell us how your first job was, where you show up and you don't know anything. And how do you manage to navigate that as a non-English speaker? How do adults practice? Hmm. My first point of practice was in English school. And You make friends from different countries, but the problem is you don't grow much because you're all at the same level, um, so you're not pushed hard enough. You really grow when you are in real-life situations like work. But I I felt very undeserving of a salary in those first few months. So I started with volunteering with charities. Um, But guess what? My first time in an office environment, they put me on a switchboard, answering the phone and transferring calls. Obviously, it's, it's a lot harder to understand people on the phone. How many times can you say, pardon, sorry, can you say that again? I might have had the phone put down on me a few times, to be honest, because I I was just not getting what the other person was saying. And they'd get frustrated with me. Then trying to take a message, I would take, I would make people spell common names like Peter, because again, I didn't have any confidence in my spelling. So I would say, okay, how do you spell that? P-E-T. 
At the same time, I was doing a bit of babysitting and started to feel more confident with my English. Then I worked in an internet cafe and not long after, I went for a real job as a team organizer for a large company. And that's when the real challenges and learning started. Little things that we don't think about twice today were huge challenges like following conversations in meetings. By the time I processed something and understood it, they moved on to the next point and the next point. I constantly worried that I looked slow or stupid. I had a dictionary at my desk and when people asked me to do something that I didn't understand, I would secretly check my dictionary and figure it out. One day someone asked me to raise a purchase order Um, I did not have a clue what that was. And of course, I thought it was my bad English. So I used my dictionary and looked up purchase and order. But putting them together still didn't make any sense. Like trying to put together oral and sex. Exactly, exactly. So the challenge an immigrant faces in this environment is that they may not know if this is an organization process jargon or is this their bad English. I always assumed it was my bad English but luckily I made some amazing friends who saw how lost I was and took me under their wing. I started feeling comfortable asking questions like what is a purchase order and it did turn out to be something specific to larger organizations. Allies really help. I I loved those allies. They were amazing and supported me so much. Reflecting back on that now, I do want to give myself a hug and say, well done for not taking the easy option. You know what, Randa? That's such a powerful story. That story is not just an immigrant girl story. That struggle you highlighted isn't just an immigrant struggle. A lot of people go to an office environment and feel very overwhelmed by the lingo in the industry, and it can really affect someone's confidence. At any moment, you could have said, oh, this is too hard, and just quit. You only had yourself to disappoint. But quit and do what? Just mix with people I feel comfortable with I knew that will never get me anywhere in life I'm only going to grow if I'm pushed out of my comfort zone very true but you recognize that on your own if we were to fast forward and go a little bit where you are past your first couple of experiences of your first few years here you have a job you speak comprehensible and understandable English and you can carry on a conversation. What are your next challenges as an immigrant girl? I got to the place where I'm communicating well, which is where many immigrants start their journey. I've worked with a number of professionals who arrive to the UK and start working with us the next day and speak fantastic English, like most of the people who move from India. I'm always so impressed with their English. So these people, even though they speak perfect English, they still face what I call the cultural language barrier. In my personal experience, the biggest cultural language barriers I faced were always under two areas. The first one is humor, and the second is slang. Humor and slang are always the hardest things to pick up 
when you're learning a language. Let's take a humor. Firstly, it takes you a long time to tune in and understand humor. Humor is very local. Even for an American coming to the UK, they take a while to get the humor, right, Shahed? Exactly, especially because the English are known to have very specific and sometimes dry humor that Americans, for example, don't necessarily understand or respond well to. So imagine how hard it would be for non-native speakers because humor is closely connected to culture. You've got to understand a lot about the culture before understanding the humor. For example, here in the UK, they always joke about people from the North. Now, these things don't make sense to an immigrant until you start integrating. Going back to feeling uncomfortable, my worst memories was in a meeting when someone directed a joke at me, expecting a reaction from me, but I didn't get the joke. Everyone laughed, but I got the most awkward look on my face and went, right, well, what do we need to do here? <laughs> people, people didn't really know that I didn't have a clue and you really can't tell them to explain the joke. Then you move on and start understanding the joke, but oh my, do you think you can construct the funny response in your head and speak it out in time? No way. So now I'm in a place where I get the joke, I have a million answers in my head, but they are all in my mother language. Well, in the last episode, you did mention that you lost your sense of humor when you first moved to the UK. Do you feel now that you got it back having lived there for 20 years? Yes, I think I finally got my sense of humor back, but I would say I'm still funnier in Arabic. You know what? I bet you a lot of second language speakers feel that way about their native language. Possibly. Brenda, you mentioned that the second language barrier was slang. Kids pick up from television things like pop culture and being around other kids, they pick up slang that their parents are not able to pick up on. As an immigrant girl, you think, wow, my parents must be so uncool. But really, all parents are having a hard time keeping up with the slang of the times. But it was even funnier when the phrases conveyed different meanings. What I mean was my parents couldn't keep track of whether I was hanging up or hanging out with my friends. And when I was getting together with them, was I going to make out, hang out, go out, or make up? My sisters and I could speak English around my parents and they wouldn't know a thing we were saying because we were speaking simply in teenage slang. Oh, that's mean. I bet you took huge pride in that. Well, I could explain that all to my parents, but in the meantime, I was trying to figure out that texting, talking, hanging out, going out, dating, making out, seriously going out, and seriously dating were all different relationship statuses. Where I came from, it was married or single, just like the U.S. tax designation. Oh, tell me about teenage slang. It's every parent's nightmare. At least today, we have the Urban Dictionary, and you can find what things mean. In my days, we didn't have Google, so slang was impossible to pick up unless you, your friends were kind enough to teach you. You sound like a great grandma saying, 
back <laughs> in my day when we didn't have television. And in your case, it's the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> I know. What a first world problem. Now, Jed, correct me if I'm wrong. Are expressions and sayings also slang? Because I found those difficult too. I think those are hard to pick up. Uh, unless you hear them in context and put the whole context together from knowledge of the culture. It, it's funny how even now, when I use these expressions, every now and then I find that I'm not saying it correctly. Because you always hear those expressions, you don't usually see them written down. Like, I always thought it's the great vine. <laughs> You know, when you hear something unofficially, you say, I heard through, it's actually the grapevine. I've been saying I've heard through the grapevine for years. Hopefully no one noticed. It must have been a really great, (laughs) it's a really good grapevine. So I think I recently was typing it in a text to someone. So I Googled it. I thought I didn't want to sound stupid. I googled it and I found out it's actually the grapevine. That is a <laughs> that's a good story. Uh, you know what, Renda? A lot of people probably feel the same way you feel. I I often have to Google things to correct them because it is quite embarrassing to put it in text. But if you are saying it, sometimes it's easier, yeah. like it comes out easier and nobody caught, whether it's really a grapevine or a really <laughs> good vine. So, should we talk about accents? You know what? Let's talk about accents. Do people often comment that you don't have an accent or a noticeable one? And how does that make you feel? Oh, Shahad, the battle to lose the accent. The best compliment you give an immigrant is telling them they don't have an accent. It used to make my day. I remember it also being an amazing compliment. Years later, of course, I learned it was just a recognition of the status quo that I belonged because accents meant so much more than what I thought they meant. I thought when somebody said, oh, you don't speak with an accent, it meant, oh, you're speaking English without one but you belong exactly in reality it meant that I can blend in and no one can tell that I'm an immigrant I guess when you become comfortable with yourself it no longer matters I worked hard on losing my accent because I felt it was a barrier to me progressing um, at work You know, some people can't get rid of their accents, and I I didn't know that, but in my ESL class, some of my first friends that were in the class with me were from Europe, and many years later, they still had an accent. It's not that easy for everyone to lose it. Chad, I always thought you picked up the American dialect so well because you were young when you moved I don't know if it's just age, because if that's true, then everyone that arrived here my age would have lost their accent. But I do think that accents affect people's perceptions of you. So as an immigrant, I always felt self-conscious that people may assume I'm 
not clever or intellectual because I couldn't speak or articulate myself well enough. Indeed, subconscious bias kicks in big time when we hear an accent. And we do fall for this every day. Sometimes I catch myself judging someone's competence if they have a strong accent. And I quickly remind myself of who I am. You know, Randa, this type of introspective reflection is needed from people like you. People in position of power, able to effectuate change, to do something about something, even if it's changing your own company's culture, because you come in contact with so many people and you can be the agent of change now. People come to the West under different circumstances at different stages in their lives. And some don't have the opportunities we discussed today, such as mixing with the locals, learning the slang, immersing yourself with the culture, or even looking up things on Urban Dictionary. That is so true, Shahad. There are a lot of smart people who don't get the opportunities we got when we immigrated. My mom was an example of the immigrant girl who did not have those opportunities. My mom immigrated to the United States when she was in her mid-50s. Of course, that's not old, but in her case, she already had a very tough life. Being a single mother and business owner, raising five children on her own in a male-dominated society, and succeeded at it. She still went to English school and she tried so hard, but bless her soul, she never felt confident in her ability to speak. Fast forward 10 years, she's been living in the United States at the time, when it was time for her American citizenship exam. She studied for weeks on end. She had a CD with all the test questions that played over and over again. She had the questions translated to Arabic as well to make sure she understands every single word. I was in the States at the time and I had the pleasure of taking her to the exam. She was very nervous. I sat in the lobby waiting for her. She was called in by this officer and about 20 minutes later, she came out completely flustered. It was very tough sight for me. I had never seen this strong woman so scared in my entire life. Ironically, the officer conducting the citizenship exam was an immigrant herself which you may think helps her connect with people she's working with, but it was the contrary. The officer was very unkind and impatient, which caused the 65-year-old to have a total meltdown. It wasn't all bad, though. My mom did answer those questions, and she passed her exam. But the moral of the story is that when we become in a position of power, sometimes we forget that we were these vulnerable individuals at one point. So it is important to reflect back to those days because this will help us be kind and patient. When you're able to express yourself and communicate, you have agency. And that agency gives you confidence and self-worth. 
especially for a woman who came from a society where she had already fought so hard to be heard and seen. And now to come to a new society and start all over and not know the language, I'm sure there are people out there who have heard of similar experiences to my grandmother's story at the citizenship examination and, and probably thought, well, then why would I even apply and put myself through all of that? But it takes practice and hard work and the desire to want to communicate and be involved in the society and engage. I remember when my grandmother would go to Costco or Lowe's to return an item on her own, she used to feel so happy and excited that she was able to do that on her own. No one was around to step in and save her and speak for her. And that empowered her. That participation in society gave her an opportunity to do something for herself on her own. When there's a kind lady behind the checkout counter, that kindness gave my grandmother the confidence to speak. And actually she would wait for that specific person at these stores to return her items because they were kind and patient with her. The only way to learn a new language is to throw yourself right in. And my grandma knew that. And she knew she was gonna make mistakes and struggle and struggle with humor and slang. But like in your case, Maybe you can find friends who can help you. And after some years, you'll find that you're the new friend helping the new immigrant girl. And with that, folks, we want to thank you for joining us on our second episode of An Immigrant Girl podcast. We wanted to bring you an episode about language, about learning it, and continuing to struggle with it. For immigrant girls and those wanting to learn about them, we hope our stories shed light on a few layers that come with learning a new language. And there are so many more layers and so much more we can say about this topic. Remember that no one is judging you. Just put yourself out there, speak it, and once you've conquered it, be kind to those who are learning it. In the next episode of An Immigrant Girl, we want to talk about landing her first job. Until next time, don't forget to find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where you can rate us and subscribe. Thank you, everyone.